Well, let's think about the word of God for us this evening. The Apostle Paul wants all Christians to understand the basis of their salvation. What it is and what it is not. Because within just a few short years of the church being established under the Apostles, all kinds of errors and false gospels abounded. There is only one gospel message and the truths which comprise that salvation are very specific because it is God who has accomplished our redemption for us and he's done it in a very particular way and it is not for us to meddle with that truth or to misrepresent it. In previous weeks we've seen what it is that God has saved us from. We've seen how it is that he has actually saved us. And last week we saw what it is that God does for each of us to bring us into the reality of our salvation. We saw that at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian, to become a Christian and to continue as one, at the very centre of all of that is our being united with Christ or in Christ, Paul uses both terms, and we have sin's mastery over us broken. All of that accomplished by means of our union with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. This being the case, a very radical transformation then takes place in the life of the sinner who is now saved by God's grace. The way that you live your life simply cannot remain the same because of the new standing that you now have before God your Father and as one who has been justified by him and reconciled to him. Next week we'll start to think about the practical aspects of living the Christian life. Paul's well-known phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What does it mean to be a new creation practically in our, in our lives? How should our lives look if we have become a new creation and if the old things really have passed away? And all things really have become new. Well, join us next week for that. But before we go there, there's something of greater importance that you need to remember. There are certain things which are now true about you, which have a huge bearing upon your Christian life. Something which completely redefines you and which changes how you live. And if you are a Christian this evening, I want to summarise this by reminding you of three things. Three crucial things that you need to remember as you seek to walk day by day with Christ. And here's the first. You need to remember to whom you belong. So we read, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong 
to God. And then in Romans 14, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. You see, life and living now is no longer about you. You are no longer the centre of your universe. Well, actually, you never were. But now you know that you're not. And you have to stop living as if you are. You've been purchased at very great cost. And God has redeemed you to himself. If you ever turn your eyes away from the cross of Christ, you'll find yourself in big trouble as a Christian. If you ever forget what it was that Christ did for you at Calvary, you'll lose your bearings as a Christian. One of the major issues that, brings, that sin brings into the soul of lost men and women is the belief that they are free to make any choices they want without consequence and that they are answerable to no one. I live to myself, for myself, by myself. I am a law unto myself. That's how we are in our sin. No one tells me what to think or what to do, especially not God. And this sinful, proud, self-righteous, self-elevating arrogance lies at the heart of sinful mankind. But when the realities of the cross dawn upon a sinful soul, there's a sudden realisation that everything as I thought it was has been shattered into pieces. That death in all of its horror and shame and agony as Christ endured it on the cross for you, for me, is what we deserve in our sin. But this Jesus has gone there for me, in my place, so that I never have to. And his shed blood is ever before my gaze. The price he paid for me, for me, is forever seared into my soul. This new life that I now have, it's all on account of him. And I am now his. And as I look to the cross, how can I not be his? How can I not bring my all and give my all to him? I am no longer my own. And all that I used to be and think, living to myself, for myself, by myself, all that has been completely overturned at Calvary. And as the realities of Calvary and of Christ's resurrection are brought upon me, 
God has redeemed me. He's called me by name. And I am his. If our churches were filled with people who lived each day with that one reality ever before them, our churches would be transformed. How is this with us at Belvedere Road? The Lord now is the ground and the centre and the focus of everything. I live to him, not to myself, because I belong to him. Now, we'll expand on some of these things in future weeks, but you have to begin by putting your feet in these shoes before you can begin walking as a Christian. I'm no longer my own because I belong to God through Christ. The point and purpose of my life from now on is to live to the Lord because I belong to him. And I'll die to him as well. If living to him means that I die, like it did for Stephen in Acts chapter 7, like it did for thousands in the Roman amphitheatres, like it did for the martyrs in the Reformation, like it did for millions of Christians just in the 20th century. If living to him costs me my life, then I'll gladly die to him too secure in the knowledge that death shall not separate me from sin or from him. Quite the opposite, death shall only serve to usher me into his eternal presence. Because it's clear to me now, to whom I belong. I belong to God through Christ. And that's the first little block of truth that we have to hold in our minds all the time. And on that basis, it should also be clear, secondly, for whom you live. For whom you live. We read in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to God. What Paul is describing in these verses is actually what God created for us in the first place. On the lunchtime programme on Radio 2, there's a weekly slot called What It Means to Be Human. It makes for interesting listening, as all manner of people try to explain what it is that makes us so different from all other living creatures, at least as they see it. One thing does stand out, though. They do see us as different Many touch upon the fact of our sense of morality and conscience and our emotional life or our creativity and our capacity to reason and debate 
and problem solve. Our love of the arts. And sometimes, sometimes people even mention our spiritual dimension too. Which is all curiously interesting given that most of them would probably say that we're no more than the pinnacle of an evolutionary chain. Which from that perspective means that we can't really be that different from all other living creatures. But you see, everybody knows that we are by a country mile in a different category to all other living things. Men and women are those made after God's likeness, made in his image. To be holy and acceptable to God, to do all to the glory of God, to be well-pleasing to him, this is what it means to be human. And to this we have been restored in Christ. And these therefore are the overriding concerns of every Christian. You continue to live in the world you were in before you were saved. You go to school and university so that you can learn and be educated in all manner of subjects, some of them useful. You enter gainful employment, of which there are all sorts of valid and legitimate options and possibilities. You follow certain career paths, and some make it higher up the ladder than others. Most will marry. Most of them will have children and raise a family. Some will remain unmarried, by choice or otherwise. You will share in all of the ills and difficulties and sorrows and disappointments, such as are common to all men and women. Your lives are impacted by the spread of a new virus, just like everybody else. But for the Christian, undergirding all of this and overriding all of this is the knowledge that you do not belong to yourself anymore. In all of the issues of life, it is the knowledge that you belong to the Lord and your desire to be holy and acceptable to God, to do all to the glory of God, to be well-pleasing to him. It is this which lies behind your every thought, every decision, every choice, every word, every action. Will this thing impinge upon me living a life of holiness? Will this be acceptable to God? Will this bring glory to God or will it tarnish or shame his name? This thought, this decision, this choice, these words I'm about to speak, this action I'm about to take, Will this be pleasing to God and glorify him? Many struggle over knowing God's will. You can save yourself an awful lot of unnecessary marking time as you try to decide by simply asking these kinds of questions. 
Will this be a hindrance to me or to others in living a holy life? Will this be something which couldn't possibly glorify God? Is there any reason why God may not be pleased with this? Answer those questions prayerfully and honestly with an open Bible. And in terms of knowing God's will, you'll find you're almost there. Your majesty, we sing, I can but bow and lay my all before you now. In royal robes I don't deserve, I live to serve your majesty. It's no longer about you. Remember to whom you belong. Remember for whom you now live. And thirdly, remember in whom you live. We read earlier from Colossians, Therefore, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, through empty deceit, the tradition of men, and not according to Christ. Remember in whom you live. Walk in him. You are no longer this independent, self-dependent, answerable to no one, man or woman. Your whole life is bound up in Christ, as we saw last Sunday evening. He now is your life. You've entrusted your life to him. You've received him as your full and perfect prophet and priest and king. You gladly receive his commandments and walk in them. You humbly acknowledge his sacrifice and embrace him as the only mediator between yourself and God the Father. You bow before his sovereignty over you as king of kings. And you walk in him, which means to walk in his likeness, to walk in his strength, to walk in his grace, to be of the same mind as him. Just as he walked in grace and love, and patience, and humility, and meekness, so you walk. Believing in him, looking to him, trusting in him, deriving all grace and strength from him. To walk in Christ is to walk in the Spirit of Christ who dwells in you, under his influence, by his direction, through his assistance. It is to walk in the doctrine of Christ, to abide in it, increasing in the knowledge of it, walking in Christ's ordinances. 
to walk in him as the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And that becomes your way and your truth and your life in Christ. He's the only way of access to God. He's the only way of your acceptance with God. He's the only way of salvation, the only way of eternal life and happiness is being in Christ. It is to say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. On the day of your conversion, when first you were saved, a radical transformation took place. And it's the reality of this transforming work of God. It is the continual outworking of this transforming work of God which makes all the difference in your life and which the unsaved world can see in you. It is this which should cause unbelieving men and women to look at you and conclude that there is something about you which can only be the work of God. And this is what lies right at the foundation of that transformed life. It is to whom you now belong and for whom and in whom you now live. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, well-pleasing to him and all to his glory. Life and living is no longer about you, but God. <laughs>